You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Na, 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 na. Hi, Hannies. It's Amiria Sai, and you're back for season two of The Take On. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Amiria Sai. I'm here with my good Persian Judy, Jackie Cox, from season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race, and just an all-around lovely human being. How are you? Salam, Amir June. How How are are you? you? I'm good. I love hearing salam. None of my guests have said salam to me, so it's very nice to have that. They're so rude. Don't they know you're supposed to spend, like, the first, like, 10 minutes of every, like, Persian party or mehuni just, like, saying hi to every single person? And if you don't say hi to the people who are older than you, you're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. And you didn't bring a gift. And I'm sorry that we're, you know, talking through this. So I can't even give you a gift. You got to bring a gift. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, my gift for your podcast is I put on um, some bronzer for you. So that is, uh, that's the gift. That's huge. <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot. I have a lot of friends who are drag queens. And I know putting any makeup on for free is a big deal. It's I, true. I, it's true. This is true. My manager would be very upset if I, if I gave you a full face without the coins, honey. You got to work the coins. Never. I would never ask that of you. Um, I love your story. Obviously, you know, you, for people who don't know, you were, you know, from Canada and, you know, coming to the U.S. and being involved in a U.S. show and kind of bringing that energy of Canada. Right now, Canada is everyone's shining star in America. Like, I look over that border every day and I'm like, can I go over there, please? Like, it's just so amazing. Talk to me a little bit about you know, what it feels like to be Canadian, especially in America right now with what's going on, all of the hate and just, you know, all of the unrest that, that America is really going through. What does it feel like for you as a Canadian? It, it kind of kind of uh, points me out to how much maybe, I guess, privilege I had before when I didn't really think about being Canadian. You know, there are so many successful Canadians in the entertainment industry and beyond here in the United States. And I never really thought about it until kind of <laughs> 2016 happened and everyone was like, Oh wait, can I marry you and move to Canada? With you? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's true. I mean, I think a lot of us feel that I have a lot of Canadian friends and they're like, you're more than welcome to come here. Cause it really feels like, even though it's only like, you know, November 3rd's around the corner, it like feels like it's going to change. Like a lot of stuff's going to change. Things are up in the air. Like, How have you kind of navigated that from an emotional standpoint? Obviously, like having a platform like yours, you really talk about voting a lot and, you know, you do your your video segments discussing it and breaking it down for people. But emotionally, how have you been processing this kind of unrest? 
I'm not going to lie. I've been much more emotionally guarded than I was in 2016. I think in 2016, I was like really emotionally invested like every day in like what was happening. And those emotions still like fuel me. But I think I, um, I was so, so excited for the first female president. I was so excited for, you know, the, the, some of the progress we had made under Obama to continue. Um, and so I was just so like heartbroken. I cried so much on election night. Um, you know, so I hope that this time around, um, if it's successful, I'll still be as happy, but if it's not, I'm just going to, rather than spending a lot of that time grieving, I'm just going to get right back to work. So I think it's less about, um, not letting yourself, you know, be fueled by everything going on. But for me, it's more about, okay, well, we can't like wallow in what's going on. We have to do everything we can to take action. So that's definitely what I've been focusing my energy on this election cycle. And certainly with my cool new platform that I can, you know, reach all of these people is explaining, you know, voting to them. There's so many young people who are fans of mine and who are just learning about the voting process for the first time. And I've heard from, um, people on social media, like, Hey, you know, I was able to show something that you posted to my mom or, you know, talk about uh, the issues with, with my parents or maybe someone who disagrees with me. And I think that that's, uh, really exciting to see how engaged the young people are this, this election. Um, and how I think the, one of the only, uh, silver linings of 2016 is that I think it forced people to realize that like, whether or not, you vote, you'll be making a choice. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you can't, you know, say, well, I don't like either of them and throw your hands up and, you know, you're, you're making a choice based on the factors of where you live. So if you live in a swing state and you don't vote, you're going to be letting everyone else make those decisions. Absolutely. And certainly if you live in a, a state that's like very close and it's potentially going to red or blue, like that one extra vote can make all the difference. So, uh, that's kind of what I think young people are realizing is that we don't really have the luxury anymore to sit it out, maybe wait for someone that is in theory, a perfect candidate. Cause I don't think there are perfect candidates. No. There are no perfect people. And uh, everyone who applies for the job of president must have something going on. Cause it's a crazy job. And I don't think I'd ever want it for real. I don't but, want that job either. I mean, a I job, that job. Have the lock codes for, for like missiles and your, Ooh. your top of the food chain. Now you gotta be a little, you gotta want something. I mean, come on. Totally. So I think I hopefully young people now are a little bit more pragmatic in using their vote to affect the change they can and then holding those people accountable once they're elected to office. That's what I'm all about. Whether you're in uh, whether your candidate is the perfect candidate or not, once they're in office, hold them accountable to the things that you believe in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and that's another piece, too, that's been really exciting is actually getting people engaged in calling their senators to um actually talk about everything else going on in the world, especially in the United States with COVID-19, um, you know, pushing their senators to actually pass more relief packages, especially for artists like us who have really limited the ways that we can make income during this pandemic and actually seeing people getting engaged, calling their senators, being part of this process. I hope that continues beyond today into the next four years and beyond.
Amen. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize like local government is also very important. You know, you have to look at your own city and a lot of like stuff that affects your daily life is in your own city. So it's important to kind of reach out and and know who your senators are and knew, know who you go to if you have a problem. So that's very important. I wanted to ask you about like, there's so much like I, stigma, stigma and kind of almost like this allure around voting by mail, right? There's so mm. much like you can't post, you can't drop it here and the postmark and you got a signature and there's, if there's one mark on it, they don't count it. So many people are getting nervous about like, you know, voting by mail. Can you kind of like relax some people like by breaking it down? Cause a lot of, I've gotten a lot of DMs of people being like, Oh no, I put one mark on it. And I, I, now the whole ballot's ruined. Like, is that true? Well, we're um, hopefully you've made a decision on whether or not at this point you're voting by mail because we're we're right here at the election. But I think for those you know who had the chance, um, it's actually been amazing to see so many states open up early voting. And I think early voting is a great way where you can hopefully encounter less people if you're trying to socially distance, uh, and hopefully you are. Um, I think early voting is a really great option that still. Uh, keeps it a little bit uh, safer and also makes sure that your ballot gets counted. For those who are voting by mail, uh, follow the instructions as best you can. What's tough, sadly, is it's different by state. You know, every state the ballot's slightly different. Um, the rules of whether they're going to open them on election day or open them early so that we can get those votes counted before the final tally on, you know, at the night. The rules are all different by state. So I think it's really important to look up what's happening in your state. And my personal recommendation to anyone, if they ever have this opportunity again, is to vote early. Get those votes in person, but early. I think that will really uh, help as we move forward in this, uh, you know, democratic republic we live in. <laughs> I got it. Sometimes we kind of forget it's democratic republic. I think it's it, it almost feels like in some ways the U.S. has gone back to North versus South. Like, it's almost like we're back at that time with Lincoln. It's like, it's just bizarre the way that that we've kind of separated. And and it, it's almost like even COVID-19 has become political. Like, putting on a mask is now a political statement. How do you navigate that in your own life? Like, how do you, like, how do you tell people, especially online or people that you might know, how do you navigate that in, like, a nice way? I've, I've really struggled to find a nice way to tell someone that's on the other side. I'm like, how do you not see what Trump has done? How do you not see what's happening? Like, how do you navigate that conversation in, in like, some humility? I just don't. I haven't been able to do it correctly. Well, for better or worse, uh, because I've been so uh, outspoken on my political beliefs and it's, you know, part of what I talked about when I was on TV last year uh, or this earlier this year, rather, um, it, it feels like a year ago. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> so long ago. Um, you know, I think for better or worse, I don't have a lot of, I would guess I would say right wing people talking to me. I mean, I've had a few, uh, a few who've engaged me on Twitter, for example, there's, you know, some conservative folks who've been like, why are you so upset that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I think what's really hard is I think people, people become these kind of like one issue kind of conservatives. Like they're just like, well, I really, really want low taxes because I'm really rich and I don't want to give any of the money to the government. I'm like, cool, cool. I just want like protection for my trans siblings to be able to hold a job. Like mm -hmm. let's just start there. You know, let's start mm -hmm. at like the basis of like what the right wing is against, you know? And I think that that's really important as we go through this Supreme court circus is we have to keep in mind like what we're really fighting for it's it's you know 
how luxurious for you that the thing you worry about the most is your taxes when there are people's like actual lives and livelihoods that are completely at stake. So mm. that's what I think I like to point people back towards is like, cool, cool. Get that you'd like lower taxes. You think that, you know, you're able to spend your money better than the government. Great. Uh, that's really different than what I'm fighting for at this moment. I mean, I do believe in a big government that actually can actually help people who are disenfranchised financially, but I also believe just in basic human rights, right? So we have to kind of like, like, okay, maybe you don't agree with me on the financial piece, but like, you gotta agree with me. If you care about my rights as a queer person, if you care about trans like actual lives, then you have to do this. If you care about black lives, you have to like actually put your vote where your mouth is. And so that's, that's kind of what I, that's what I always say to people is like, you know, when they kind of try to pick apart one issue that like, isn't really the make or break for me is to kind of put it back in those terms. Absolutely. Well, it, it kind of breaks it down in a way that they can understand. And I think a lot of people go back to the taxes thing. And if you're making more than $400,000, it's hard to feel sorry. I always say it's hard to feel sorry for someone crying at the Ritz. I don't really have a lot of sympathy. It's like, you know, and I understand that, listen, I understand that people that are in a higher bracket don't want to be taxed, but like you said, it's a human rights violation. So we focus on that. And I know a lot of people that are in that bracket and they're like, yes, we're going to be taxed more, but we're also don't want people to be murdered by the police. (laughs) Like there is no like, you know, what's your, where are your values at? Mm -hmm. Crazy that people don't see that, but. (laughs) And I think too, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, why we have, a more centrist candidate who is currently on the democratic ticket is because, you know, if we want to just get rid of like the baseline bigotry, racism and violence coming out of the right wing, we have to bring a broader coalition. And then, you know, hopefully once uh, the, the, the folks in power change, uh, then we can start pushing them even more towards some of the more progressive goals that I think I certainly believe in. And so many of the people who I think follow us and our in our age group certainly believe in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're, there was actually a video I thought of you. I was watching it on TikTok a couple of days ago, and it was a Canadian police officer pulling over Americans, and they started fumbling and they were so nervous. And the cop literally said, "Uh, you're not in America. Relax." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So lovely. I was like, that's amazing because it was such a stark difference. And you know, I love Handmaid's Tale. And I used to watch it. And it was always, Canada was always like the dreamland to get away from America. And it's funny because every year that show becomes more and more real. And it's just kind of scary that Canada's our, you know, go-to place now. And, you know, and it's funny because it's so close, yet it's so different. Why do you think like the Canadian people and the politics are starkly so different than the way the U.S. has operated? Well, I think you you kind of brought it up earlier, which is like, why is this starting to feel more like the Civil War? And when we think about like what this country was built on, uh, a lot of things like the Electoral College were created to benefit like Southern slave owners mm-hmm. uh, who were able to use the, 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 their, the numbers of slaves that they had and count them as electoral votes, uh, even though those slaves were not allowed to vote themselves. Wow. So I think when you think about like what what this entire country's government like you know, to keep the union together, a lot of the founding fathers made these compromises with the South. And now we're still running against this 250 some odd years later of like, what's, what's really going on here is there's, there's a lot of tension between what, you know, half of the country's ideals were founded on and what the other half 
was kind of allowed to do for so long. And that's not to say that there aren't great people in the South. There are amazing people in the South. There are amazing, um, amazing liberal people in the South. There are amazing, I won't say amazing, but there are also nice conservative people in the South. Um, and there, and there, are, there are terrible people in the North and there are terrible, terrible, terrible people in Canada. But I think when we look at like what each, you know, side of this country was founded on, it, it goes back to, what the, you know, a lot of, and a lot of it comes down to the economy, you know, the, the, the economics of keeping all of the Southern plantations up and running required slaves. And then they, the Southerners were able to use those slaves to get more power in the U S government through the electoral college. So it, it all kind of like ties back into this like long and deep history and Canadian history is just so different, right? Canadian history yeah. is just so different. The uh, economics and the demographics of Canada are completely different than mm -hmm. the United States. Um, Absolutely. And so uh, I, and that's not to say either country is perfect or to say Canada is, you know, just significantly more perfect than the United States. I think there's, um, there, there's work to do in, in, in every country and in every democracy. I think that that's something that we should continue to work on. You know, mm -hmm. once, once this election's over, that, that just means the work begins on the next one. And so even, as exhausting as that may sound, like that's the work that you have to do in any functioning uh, democracy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Absolutely. Well, politics is never done, right? It's like, it's, it's the, <laughs> never goes to bed. You have to consistently always be out there and pushing. And even if you win an election, you're still looking four years ahead. Like it all makes a lot of sense. And I always thought every time I've been to Canada, I always felt like it was very European in the way that there were people, like there was someone wearing a headscarf next to someone wearing a tube top. And I felt like it was a, there was different people of, of different ethnicities. And I felt like sometimes I feel like America becomes more homogenized. Like even LA is such a progressive city. It's very, very segregated there's certain neighborhoods certain people live in certain neighborhoods like it, it and i didn't feel like that was so much in canada i felt like you're sitting on a bus with all different types of people and i felt like that was kind of refreshing yeah and there's parts of the united states that feel like that too i mean certainly yeah. parts of new york where i live really feel like a nice lovely melting pot and mixture of folks but you know and again segregation is something built into the DNA of this country as well. So it's all things that we're working against and we're working towards a better future. And, you know, uh, my hope is just that uh, if people, if everything just gets like a little bit better every day, you know, that's all we can hope for. And I think the past four years, things have gotten a little bit worse. So we got a lot of ground to make up, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, once, as we do that work, we just have to really focus in on, on making the change that we want to see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well said. And I want to go back to what you mentioned, the Supreme Court circus, which I love the way that you mentioned that. So, you know, we have, you know, 
I'm just going to call her Amy, honey, because I don't want to get into her whole name. But, you know, she's there and they're asking her these questions. And, you know, she said, obviously, they asked her about um, white supremacy and she was very quick to say no. Like, I don't support that. I'm not into it. And she was and it was it was funny because Cory Booker almost looked shocked because he was like our president kind of danced around that question and you were so quick to answer it. Did that give you any kind of like hope for her? Because I've looked up her policies and all of that. And I'm kind of worried about her being on the Supreme Court. But did that give you any hope or any kind of pause to be like, okay, maybe she's not completely cuckoo bananas? Uh, I, I don't think she's cuckoo bananas. I think she is actually, from what I've gathered, a true conservative and a true conservative uh, in theory uh, should not be racist, should believe that, you know, all of all of us are, I guess, God's children. Um, I'm not personally Catholic, so I couldn't tell you exactly what her beliefs are. But, uh, you know, but but the fear is that that also includes a lot of uh, dangerous uh, thoughts on, for example, um uh, the LGBTQ plus community, um, and certainly, uh, the rights of women to choose what to do with their own bodies. So I think that, you know, while it seems lovely that she has a large family, seven children, etc. like on the other side, I, I don't know, you know, kind of if, if someone like me would be welcome in that family or if, um, a woman who makes a choice about what to do with her body, uh, would would be welcome in that family that she you know projects. So while I certainly think that you know she doesn't seem like a hypocrite the way that Donald Trump does, but that right. doesn't mean that it's any less dangerous for certainly the our queer community and also mm -hmm. for women. You know, so I think that these are all you know inter intertwined issues, um, and it's going to be a big uh, loss to not have uh, RBG up there for mm -hmm. us. Yeah, I really wish she she really stuck it out for the last couple of years, but I just wish she would have stuck it out a couple more months because we really needed her because I'm worried about like repeals on gay marriage, abortion laws. I mean, there's so much that could happen that that would really affect everyone's lives. And I think it but it, you know what? Like you said, I like what you said earlier on. You said I'm going to do my best, but when things happen the way they happen, I'm not going to become as emotionally invested. I think with COVID-19, people losing jobs, people losing loved ones, we can't take this on. Like I deactivated Twitter for a moment because I just didn't need to see all the news. Like it can be very overwhelming. And like on that topic, like what's your self-care routine? Like what has been your routine for the last couple of months in this kind of weird time? Uh, well, the first and most important thing that everyone needs to do is moisturize. So we have to moisturize our face and like you get, you rub it in, rub it into your temples, gives you a little like headache relief as well. We, we love that. Uh, so that's number one, moisturize. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think for me, it's about, you know, I always find uh, creating stuff can be kind of a nice way to let go or to put your thoughts down into uh, uh, something you've written or something, you know, you want to share with folks that always helps me as well. So creating is kind of my next place I go to. And then the third one is like binge watch something so silly and so like brainless. I've been watching, you know, Netflix a lot or, you know, whatever those things are that like soothe you, like go do them. And then once you are ready, get back, get back in the saddle and take action. So those are kind of the, the ways that I certainly self soothe, but, uh, it's, it's hard. You have to find those things and, uh, find the healthiest ways to, uh, deal with it. Amen. Cause there are earlier on, I was using a lot of unhealthy options. Right. And I, 
I was like, this is catching up to me. So yeah, it's, it's good to find a healthier outlet. Um, I want to talk about, I mean, being queer, you know, both of us being queer and very open about it. I've been very open about me being raised Muslim and, you know, when it comes to Islam and LGBTQ people, there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of issues. I had a very tumultuous coming out with my family. My mom wears a headscarf. I mean, it was very tough. There was a lot of transitions that happened. So I want to talk to you about your, cause you've been very open about the fact that sometimes the way that LGBT people are, LGBTQ people are created or are treated is governmental, not religious per se, like that the religion's not always saying it, it's always like the government. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and what it's like to kind of be, again, I don't know your story. I'd like to know, like, are you practicing or just, it was something that you were raised with? I'm curious about all of those. Yeah. So, you know, my mom's family is kind of the old kind of style of like secular Islam that was like pretty popular in Iran, like in the middle of the 20th century and was like really promoted by the Shah. It was this kind of like new way to be, you know, you know, uh, a more progressive version of the Middle East that was more Western. And the fact that like people were Muslim, but like the head job, the, the, the hijab was uh, outlawed, you know, so it was kind of this forward version of Islam really modeled after a kind of American or Western secular Christianity. You know, that was kind of the version of Islam that was pushed through by the government at that time, which, you know, of course, for those who were, were more um, conservative or more orthodox, like that was, you know, not great and was one of the contributing factors that led to the, you know, 1979 revolution, you know, but for my mom's family, which was, uh, you know, definitely fell right into that kind of secular version of Islam mold. Like that was great for them, but the revolution was not. So, you know, my mom and her sister, you know, left Iran right before the revolution to come here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, having a close knit Persian community, some of whom were more practicing, some of whom were not, uh, Islam was always just kind of this, I won't say a boogeyman, but just kind of this like thing that like my mom was always afraid that like, if I ever talked about it a lot with, you know, non-Persian people, that it would be something that I would be, you know, mistreated for because for. she certainly dealt with so much racism when she came to this country as, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a darker skinned Persian lady with a very thick accent, with a very Persian sounding name coming right off of, you know, during, through the hostage crisis and beyond. Uh, which is also part of why Persian people use the word Persian, which is the dominant ethnic group in Iran rather than Iranian, knowing that, you know, Iranians were villainized in Western media for the, you know, remainder of the 20th century and beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so still. Me, <laughs> and still, uh, you know, so for me, it was about uh, kind of hopefully removing some of that stigma, knowing that I have uh, really amazing close family and friends who this is still a faith that's important to them. And just like, you know, as previously have been expressed on, you know, drag race and beyond, you know, people kind of taking parts of their heritage and that includes sometimes their faith and incorporating it into their art. That's kind of what I hoped to do right. um, and hope to continue to do. You know, I've had, uh, you know, people use me to show their parents to say like, Hey, look, this is something new and cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, the history of, like, the LGBTQ community is so bizarre in Iran, knowing, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that the government will pay for a sex change, uh, but the government will execute you if you're gay. Like, it's just very, very bizarre beliefs by the government. And I know that so many Persian people don't share those same beliefs. You know, I've been I've I've I've. Uh, 
been lucky enough to hear from, you know, kids who like can get on Instagram in Iran and actually say like, whoa, this is amazing. Like I show, you know, this is make, gives me so much joy to see you. And, um, I think for that piece, it's, it's the most rewarding thing that's happened to me since all of this has happened this year is just actually knowing that like someone can point to me and say like, Oh, look, like I'm not alone. Or there's someone who's like out there in the media. That's not like, I don't know, a, a swindling oil tycoon or like a terrorist, <laughs> which is like literally it, all it is. I know. Yeah. I know. It, it's hard. To, it were definitely a few of us and we're being open, but it's tough because even when you are being open, I get extinguished a lot. So a lot of people are like, no, you can't be gay and Muslim. You can't say that. You can't say Eid Mubarak. And I'm like, well, look, I am saying it though. Like I'm an example of someone who's saying it. Have there been moments? And I know that you obviously, as we do this more, our skin becomes thicker and thicker. But early on, were there moments where you were like, this is too hard. Like there's too much hate coming. There's too much like for me to be so visible. Did you struggle with that? I was definitely afraid uh, mm -hmm. bef before, you know, I, everything even came out just like I was afraid of what was going to happen. I was afraid of like people's reaction uh, to what was happening. Um, uh, and the response was so overwhelmingly positive uh, that I, I, I definitely want to continue to incorporate, you know, our culture and history into my drag and my art. Um, and of course there's haters, of course there's haters. And I think that like some of the best advice that I can give anyone who's dealing with online hate is like, you have to know that it's like your body's survival mechanism to find out and focus on and seek out the hate that you perceive or the threats that you perceive coming towards you from an online space or from anywhere. Right. It goes back to like your like caveman brain that like, if you weren't paying close enough attention and you didn't hear that twig snap, you'd get eaten alive. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that we have this like instinct to focus in on those negative things because we think that that's what will protect us. If we know what the threat is and can name it and identify it and then hopefully control it or keep it away from us. But like, remember like people's, sh you know, crappy internet comments are like, that's them. That's all bullshit. That's just them and their problems. And like the minute you like can unlock that, you can just feel pity for those people and not let that negative energy into your life. Amen. And a lot of those people don't even have a picture. So I'm like, you're not even strong enough to put a picture out there and to stand for all of your hate. So why am I going to give that space and energy? So yeah. Yeah, no, no. it's it's who 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 needs it? Who needs it? I don't need it, and that's why I love TikTok because you can do a reply with video to like the hate, and I <laughs> love doing those. It's so fun, it's so petty, and I just love it. I know that you're on TikTok. Oh What's been your experience? You know. <gasps> Uh, well, the kids love my dancing out of drag more than anything. So you know what? Hey, I look. I I, I don't mind shaking my booty for 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 the TikToks. Perfect. Why not? Why not? Why, Why not? not? You know, I'm like oldies. We're like the kids, right? The kids are on the TikTok. They are. I'm like 35. These kids are 17. <laughs> and what are they eating? Some of these kids look like they're 45 and they're 19. I don't understand, but. You know, it's it's a whole new world of nutrition. Uh, I uh, instead of spending my lunch money, I would save it up and buy clothes when I was in high school. <laughs> That's what I would do. That's I why I'm still this small. Uh, yeah, I was I was so bad. I'd be like, wait, if I don't buy lunch, then I can buy a new shirt. <laughs> it's always fashion over food. I mean. Love that. <laughs> terrible. That's terrible advice for anyone listening. 
do not do that. Eat your lunch. Eat your lunch. I disavow that advice. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, I loved having you. You're you're such a light and you're just so fun. And, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, slide into those DMs. You don't know who you're going to become friends with. Ooh, yeah. Slide in, baby. Slide um, in, baby. Hopefully this was fun. I know we talked about some serious stuff, but hopefully we had some fun stuff too. Yeah, it's always good to have a, a nice little chuckle and then get serious. Why not? We're both wearing glasses. Y'all can't see it, but you know, we're very smart. It's true. Very it smart. Is, it is what it is. Um, tell us where people can follow you. You can uh, find me across all social media at Jackie Cox NYC. So hopefully I don't move. <laughs> <laughs> I don't move. <laughs> Hey, you can follow me at Jackie Cox Toronto. Like I just have to like make a, a new social media anytime I move anywhere. That's amazing. Well, New York will always be in your heart, right? So it doesn't matter it's, where you go. It's true. And uh, I just put a two-year lease, uh, signed a two-year lease here for a drag studio. So at oh. least for two more years, I'm Jackie Cox. Anyway. There you go. There you go. I love that. Well, it's always good to hear that. And I know that this episode is going to come out on election day. So some of y'all might be waiting in the polls. Six feet apart, I hope, with a mask on, being safe. But you know what? Like, I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. That's your prerogative. But just remember when you're in the voting booth, you have power. The props are important. Don't write in a candidate. I think a lot of people on social media have been doing the write in their friends as a no, presidential candidate. Don't, don't do that. That's throwing your vote away. Do, do not. You, there's only two choices for president. There are just two choices. And for most races, there are just two choices. Mm -hmm. So you have to pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. Not choosing is letting the majority in wherever you are decide for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to make a choice. Go make a choice. Go make a choice. We'll end it there. Well, thanks, everyone. And thanks again, Jackie. Bye, everybody. Bye. Khodafes. Khodafes. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas Official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together 
we rise.